right, guys. Well, go ahead and, and grab your Bible. Open up to Romans chapter 7. You know, when uh, we talk about this all the time, if, if you don't have a Bible, obviously I just spent a few minutes talking about being a Bible-saturated family. We'd love to give you one so you can stop at the welcome table on the, on the way out and grab a Bible as a, as a gift from us to you. But we're going to be in Romans chapter 7. We're, we're continuing through this series called Gospel Doctrine, that we're just really trying to understand what this gospel is and what this actually means in our lives today. And so today we actually have the honor of having one of our, our network leaders here with us at, at DOXA. So David Livingston is, has been the, uh, the Salt Company Director at Iowa City at Veritas Church. And so if you give it up for David Livingston, where are you at? Come on up here. So David is a, is a tremendously godly man, a great communicator. We're really excited to have, have him here with us this weekend and, and teaching us the Bible. So I'll turn it over to you, man. Thanks. Well, hey, I'm David. Um, as Rob said, we are from Iowa City. And it's actually cool to be in Madison because Iowa City is basically just like a, uh, like a smaller version of Madison, kind of like me and Rob. Um, but so I actually hadn't thought about saying that until I just walked up here and was like, that stinks to stand on stage after someone with a body like Rob. So anyway, okay, here's, uh, here's where we're at today. We're in, we're in Romans 7. And, and you guys have been going through this series together, right? When you're, you're in this part of the Bible that's kind of unique in like the whole thing, right? Because if you read most of the Bible, most of what it is, it's like this big story that kind of all is leading to this like one climactic chapter, right? Where Jesus Christ, he dies on a cross and he, he raises from the dead. And so we're in one of these sections of the Bible where basically it like zooms way in and it's asking questions like, what does that mean? Like, what is that climactic chapter of Jesus' life? What does that have to do with me? What does that make a difference for someone who is a normal human being, and, and all of Romans 8 is in some way kind of answering that question, what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? And Romans is very technical. It's, it's laying out doctrine, right? What are the implications of the cross for us? Um, but there are these moments in Romans where he, he kind of pulls back from this like really kind of detailed analysis, and he just gives you a picture. And he's like, hey, what I'm trying to say is the message of Jesus, the gospel is like this. And Romans 7 begins with one of those pictures, and the picture he wants to give us is about marriage. So if you got a Bible, I'm just going to read the first six verses of Romans 7 for us. It says this, or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh... Our sinful passions aroused by the law, they were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So that's the beginning of Romans 7. And right last week, he gave you this picture last week about slavery, right? He's saying, actually, to be in this relationship with Jesus, it's like you're no longer a slave to sin. You're actually a slave to righteousness. And I get to give a different picture. Marriage, right? Marriage. 
And you're like, okay, this is cool. That's a little more palatable. I can go there. But it's a certain kind of marriage, right? What Paul's saying is that the normal way of experiencing life as a human being, like the normal way that we experience life as a human being, it's like being in an abusive marriage that you can't get out of. That's the picture he paints. And he describes this normal human experience as being under the law. And this is the illustration. He's saying your relationship with the law, it's like a marriage. But the problem is that the marriage is terrible. Okay, look what he says in verse 5. He says, while we were living in the flesh, kind of just the normal way we exist as humans in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, they were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. That's a pretty terrible description of life, don't you think? Like imagine going back to your like 10 or 20 year high school reunion with like that story. You're like, how are you doing? You're like, well, I'm in this relationship. Oh, cool. How's it going? A lot of sinful passion. Okay. Where do you think it's going to lead? Oh, death for sure, right? It's like, cool. Like, good to meet you. You know, it's like, that is not a nice relationship. And this way of living, being under the law, it means that you are held captive to laws and requirements that you have no ability to follow. That's what it means. It's like you're married to a spouse that no matter what you do, you are never able to please them. And the problem is that the law, it doesn't just give us a path towards life, but actually it guarantees that if you don't follow that path, you will be on another path to destruction. And Paul's saying that this marriage with the law, it's not just broken and painful, but actually it's destroying every single part of you, and ultimately it will lead to your death. And here's the problem. You can't get out of this relationship. You can't get out. That's exactly what he's saying in verses 2 to 3. Look, look at that with me. He says, he says, for example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. And then a little later, he says this. He says, so then if she gives herself to another man, if she tries to leave this relationship while her husband's living, she will be called an adulteress. Right today, in the kind of the world we live in, 2019, you can be a woman and you can actually be involved in, in an abusive marriage and there are ways to get out. Right? You can get a divorce, you can leave, you, you can get help from this community. And if that's you, please do that, get help. But what he's talking about in the first century, women didn't have that kind of freedom. No, women didn't have rights like this. If you were stuck in a toxic relationship with an abusive spouse, there's nothing you can really do. That is just your lot in life. The laws of the land, they bound you to your husband. And what Paul is saying is that to be a human means that you are involved in a relationship with the law of God in the same kind of way. Your relationship with the law is like a marriage to the law, is the kind that you can't run from and you can't get out of. The law owns you. It has claim to you. And, and as we're hearing this, the, the thing that kind of rises in our hearts is like, well, what the heck? Like, that's not fair. Like, why would I be in a relationship with something that fundamentally doesn't fit with who I am, right? It'd be like being lactose intolerant and then finding out like you have been forever married to a gallon of whole milk, right? You're like, why, why like, right? Like this normal situation that we have, right? Like wh why would that be true? Our, our relationship with the law is like that, it's toxic. It promises us calcium, strong bones, health, 
and then it gives you the runs, right? Like that's how this works. Okay, I'm not lactose intolerant. I don't know. I have heard stories, and they are not the kind you can tell in church, okay? But here's, the, here's what's true. All of us at some intuitive level, we, we understand that this relationship with the law of God, it's like this, right? When we try to come under the law of God, when we actually open up this book and we say, okay, here's what it's saying. This is the good life. We all know what it's like when we try to put ourselves under that and live according to those standards. We find that we do not fit into this system, right? We don't fit. When the Bible talks about forgiveness, we know what it's like to try to forgive that person for the thing that they have done to us. And we realize that it seems easier to die than it is to actually walk through that process of forgiveness, doesn't it? And we read what the Bible says about sexuality, and it's like we've had these situations where we tried to slam ourselves into these narrow guidelines, and we found that it didn't make us happy, it didn't actually make us content, but actually trying to do that made us feel like we were dying inside. And this happens with so many areas of the Bible, right? How we spend our money, how we live in relationships. At the end of the day, there is something incompatible with who we are and the law that we are represented with. And so what do we do? Well, what a lot of people do, what, what most of us do, at least at some point in our lives, is we go and we try to find another set of rules, another set of laws, another path to life that fits us, that, that fits us better. Right? And so we say, well, man, these laws on sexuality, they're really, they're messing me up because I don't fit into these boxes. And so what we do is we go in and we try to find a way of thinking that promises us life and fulfillment, not by restricting ourselves, but actually by freeing ourselves to kind of pursue what we feel inside. Like these laws on taking care of the poor that we read, like they don't take into account all the ways that I need to provide for my family. And so we go and we find a way of thinking about money that fits with the way that we think and prioritizes the things we prioritize. Well, what's the problem with doing this? Well, Paul says that the problem is that doing that is the same thing as committing adultery. Because your relationship with the law is one you can't leave. What does this mean? It means that you aren't free to self-define which laws and which guides will actually lead you to flourish as a human being. That's what he means. It's like you're not free to self-define which path will actually lead you to life. Why? Well, it's because the Bible says that we're made in the image of God. And being made in the image of God, being created after his likeness, means that the rules and the guides and the path that leads human beings to flourish, those have actually been defined for us by our creator. They've been defined for you, and we are bound to them. The path to human flourishing that God's laid out for us, for humanity, it's, it's bound to each one of us. It's like it's in our DNA. It is so united with us. It's so intimate to us that Paul says it's like you're married to it. You can't get away from it, right? The laws of God, they are the path of wisdom. They are the path to light and goodness and wholeness and fulfillment. They are the path that lead us back to the garden of God. They are the road back to the home that we lost and we feel the loss of every single day. But because sin has marked our lives, we are now fundamentally incompatible with that path. We don't fit into that system. 
And when we try to find another path, maybe a path that fits us more towards fulfillment and joy, it might seem easier, but in the end, it only actually leads us further from wholeness and ends up leading us further from God. And Paul says this is, this is what it means to be under the law. This is what it means to be human. You're under that relationship, that law. And Paul says that there is no way to break the bonds of this relationship except one. And it's, it's in the text. This is what he says. I just kind of read it from the beginning. He says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, we, we know that she's going to be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Like, do you kind of see the logic of what he's trying to say this? He's saying, man, if you try to leave this marriage, you're going to be committing adultery. But if the husband dies, if the husband dies, then the bonds are broken and you are free to find a new relationship. You are free to marry another. Well, what's, what's going on, okay? I think this is like the first century version of like every kind of like Hollywood movie that's ever been made, okay? I think that's what's going on here, right? You have the guy, he's powerful, he's overbearing, right? He has his kind of abusive, powerful thumb over half the city, he owns it all. And then you have the girl, right? She's beautiful, she's innocent, and she's trapped in this abusive man's power, and she can't leave. And you kind of recognize that the only way this innocent, beautiful girl is gonna be free is if this abusive husband dies. And this is where the hero of the story comes in, right? He sees the girl. You have like some score that like the guy kind of pushes up into the soundtrack, makes you feel really emotional about it. He sees the girl, he sees how beautiful she is and how poorly she's being treated, and he sees the wicked evil of the villain, right? And eventually an hour and a half later, there's gonna be like some knife fight or something, right? The hero's going to be outmatched, but in the end, he will prevail, and the girl will be saved, right? We know this story. We've seen this story play out a hundred times. In some ways, it's like the classic story, and this is the setup that Paul gives us. He's like, this relationship is like this. If the husband dies, then the woman is free. If the abusive one dies, then the bonds of this relationship are broken and the wife can be free. But then look what Paul does next, verse four. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law, to the body of Jesus Christ. That's a... He flips it on its head, right? Because as you're sitting there looking, you're like, hey, if the husband dies, then the wife is free. If this thing dies, you will be free. Paul just flipped the analogy on its head because the answer to our broken relationship under the law of God is not that the law dies, but the answer is actually that you die. Why? Well, because in this story, our story we are in an abusive, broken relationship with the law of God, but we are the abusive one. We are the broken one. You, you know, as, 
as we all kind of sit here, we're all, we're all in church, we've, we've come to church, and one of the reasons a lot of people come to church is because kind of intuitively we're looking for the law, right? Like we're looking for the law, and I don't mean like you're here because you're like, I heard there's like 600 rules in the Old Testament, and I'm trying to figure out how to follow all of them, right? I don't mean that, but I mean like you're here in some reason, something in us kind of intuitively is saying, I'm looking for the right way to live. I'm looking for the path that actually leads me to happiness and joy because, you know, maybe you're here in the room and you're like, the kind of life I'm currently living, it's not working out for me. And so I'm trying to figure out what is the path that will make me happy and fulfill me. And a lot of people come to church because they're looking for the law, right? We know our lives are messed up. We know we've made a mess of it. Some of us, our marriage is in shambles. Maybe you might be overwhelmed in debt because you realize that greed and materialism have proved to be terrible gods. And so some of you, you come to church because you want to make a change. You want some guidelines and you want some structure that you can start to change and become a better you. And this is intuitive. This way of thinking, it makes sense. It is our natural default way of viewing the world and of viewing ourselves and there's kind of two ways we can think about this, right? You might think, well, man, I, maybe you just either think, I, I need help following the rules that I already have, right? Maybe I just, I can't seem to do it myself. I need a community to help me because I just can't seem to do it myself. I need a different circle of friends. Or maybe you even need some unique spiritual power to get things straightened out. Or maybe you go, no, 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 actually, I'm doing a pretty good job of following my laws and my rules, but the problem is they didn't lead me where I thought they would lead me. And so you came here and you're like, I need a new path. I need a new set of ideals, a new way of thinking about life so that I can make the right choices and have the right actions so that I can actually be happy. I want joy. I want fulfillment. And so maybe I need a whole new set of rules. But Paul is saying that this isn't what Jesus came to do. It's not what Jesus came to do. Because a new set of rules doesn't address the real problem. It doesn't address the problem at all. Actually, trying to, trying to fix your life or change your life by getting a different set of rules, it's, it's, like, um, it's like trying to change your life by making like, healthier choices and starting to eat healthy by choosing like, a different burger combination at McDonald's, okay? That's what it's like. It's like you, you go to McDonald's and you're like, man, my standard is like a number six or whatever. It's like two McDoubles and fries. And you're like, man, when I eat this, I feel horrible, okay? Like I feel terrible after that. And you're like, I am sick of living this way. I'm sick of feeling this way. I am going to make a radical change in my life. I'm about to step forth on this path towards newness and health and joy. And so you get in your car and you drive to McDonald's and they're like, welcome to McDonald's, what do you want? And you're like, I've had it with number six. I'm done. Give me instead a Big Mac and a shake. And it's like, what's the problem? You've changed nothing, right? You changed absolutely nothing about your life. What's the problem? The problem is you're in your car at the drive-thru of McDonald's, and you are about to park your car in the parking lot and eat out of a bag in your driver's seat as fast as you can so that no one pulls up next to you and your shame has to be exposed, right? Hypothetically, obviously, I've never done that. But anyway, that's what's sitting behind this text. That's like what's sitting behind it. The message of Jesus in his cross, it's not about giving you a different order or a different prescription of how you should live your life. It is about fundamentally altering the reality and the relationship that you find yourself in. 
And most of the people who walk into a church, they miss it. They miss it completely. And I would just say, I was one of those people who walked into church for years and years and years and missed it. Because what happens when we walk into church, we become confronted with the gospel, is that we've lived under the law for so long. It's like what Ronnie was saying last week. This, we have this muscle memory in us that is so strong and so pronounced that even when we hear the good news of the gospel, that it isn't about what we do for God, but it's about what God has done for us. We still immediately start looking around for which rules to follow. We're like, yeah, okay, that's good news. Now, but, but what is actually the path I need to walk that'll make me happy and fulfill me? It's like that muscle memory so deep that even though we have the name of Jesus over our lives now, some of us still end up living under the old ways. We're still looking for the right system and the right rules to make us happy. And Paul is saying, you can't do that. You can't do that. It doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because we're actually far more flawed than we thought. We're actually way more broken than we even thought was possible. Part of what the text is saying is that we aren't just broken on the surface, but that actually our fractures go to the very core of who we are. And what this means is that it actually doesn't matter what rules we find. It actually doesn't matter what path we find because we are the problem. We are the abusive one in the relationship. So you can't just find another person or another relationship because you're the abusive one. And that's the reason the relationship's broken. There's no law, there is no path that can make us whole because our problem isn't external. It isn't with what we're doing, it's with us. And maybe even as I say this, like you're, you're in the crowd and you're like, I actually disagree with that. I don't think that's true. And I get it. I understand. Like the good news of Jesus doesn't start with good news. It starts with actually pretty bummer news that you're way more flawed than you thought. And a lot of people stop there, right? It's too much to handle. It's just too hopeless of a place to be as a human to go there. But, but I'm, I'm telling you, if, if you don't go there, and if you don't go to that really dark place of self-realization, that the reason you can't seem to pull it together, it isn't because you're not trying hard enough. It isn't because you just haven't been shown how. It isn't because you just don't have the right physical or spiritual practices. But the reason is because of who you are. I'm telling you, if you don't go there, then as you come to church and you open this book, you might actually come away with a few bits of wisdom that improve your life. You might even find that actually this community of people starts to make you live a little bit healthier and a little bit of a happier life. But you'll never meet Jesus. You'll never meet Jesus if you don't go to that place because Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. Jesus didn't come for people who can climb the ladder of righteousness on their own. No, he came for people just like me and just like you. People who couldn't get to God, so God came to us. People who couldn't gain eternal life, so Jesus gave us his. Jesus didn't come so that he could free the beautiful one from the abusive relationship. Jesus came to marry the abusive one so that he could make them beautiful. 
This is exactly what verse 4 says. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. How did we, how did we die to the law? Through the body of Jesus Christ. Some translations say through the crucified body of the Messiah. Why did Jesus do that for us? He did it so that we could belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. He's saying, how is it that we are freed from this bondage to the law? How is it that we are given access to this completely new way of living? He says it's through the crucified body of Jesus. Guys, this is like one of those moments in preaching where you're like, ah, oh, like I just wish like Jesus could be here to like present himself to you because there's no words that can possibly explain how unbelievably stunning this is. Like Jesus saw us. Like think about that scene he's setting. He's like, you are this abusive person in this relationship. What movie or book have you ever read where the hero comes to save the abusive one so he can be with that person? That never happens. Why? Because it's impossible. It's so unlikely. It's so ridiculous. It's so far-fetched. Why would anyone ever look at two people in the relationship and free the abusive one so they could marry them? That's what Jesus did. We weren't beautiful. We weren't lovely. We weren't worthy. But Jesus said, I want that one. And I am going to spend my life and my blood in order to make that person my own. The gospel is the greatest news in the world. It is stunning, right? And he's saying, Paul's saying, that's what's true of you now. If you know Jesus Christ, he's saying the old us, the old you has died, but our death it comes through our union with Christ who died in our place. And this relationship, it doesn't lead to our destruction, but it always leads to life. Why? Because when we were with the law, when we failed the law, the law doesn't forgive you. When your relationship is with rules and guides and a path, if you step off the path, you will be reprimanded. But when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, no matter how much you abuse him, he always responds with grace and love and forgiveness. There's no law strong enough to repair the damage that sin has done to our hearts, but there is no sin strong enough to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. How amazing is that? Like there's no law that can fix us, but there is nothing about you that could separate you from the love of this Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't sacrifice himself to free the beautiful one from the abuser, but he sacrificed himself so that he could marry the abuser himself and make them beautiful. Guys, this is what makes Christianity different from every single other spiritual idea in the world. There's nothing like this. Every single religion, every spiritual path, everything else in the world says that the way that we become right with God, the way we become righteous is by following the law. Like we need to think the right way. We need to live the noble life. We need to follow the right path. They're all different names for the same thing, but it's all here is enlightenment, here is God, here's perfection, and here's how you get there. 
The message of Jesus Christ, the reason it's good news is because it says the exact opposite. Jesus didn't come to give you a path to where he is. He didn't give you a path to follow to get to him. He took the path himself to get to you. From heaven to earth, from a throne of glory to a cross between two thieves. And he did all of this so that he could meet you exactly where you are. With all of your flaws, with all of your failure, he came so that he could unite himself to you. And when we meet Jesus like this, we start a completely new kind of life. The life that Paul says isn't bound under the law, but it's this kind of life that he describes. It's like we're bound by the Spirit to Christ. And this this new way of living, it's completely different. It's not kind of different, like this different you know, different number at the McDonald's menu. Like, it's completely and utterly different. It's where our beauty and our value, it doesn't come through our ability to perform, but actually our be- we're beautiful and we're valuable. Why? Because Jesus is beautiful and Jesus is valuable and Jesus is worthy and we've been united to him. For our vitality and our life, it doesn't come through our ability to follow the laws of God, but it actually comes by being united to the author of life himself. And, and the reason that this is so good, and the reason this is, this is like worth giving our lives to studying and reading about and trying to get this picture into our heads is because this isn't just how you start the journey with Jesus. This is how it ends. This is the whole path of Christianity. It's all one thing. We don't start with Jesus so that now that you've been in church for a while, now you can start to perfect yourselves by following the law again. No, we continue this journey in the exact same way that we began, the exact same way. You look to Jesus. You, you don't bring your sin to the law and say, I'm trying really hard, but you actually you bring your sin to Jesus, and you say, Jesus, would you forgive me? And he says, yes, yes. We continue on this journey in the exact same way that we began, and over time, this new relationship, it actually starts to do what it promises to do. It actually starts to change us from the inside out. When we fix our eyes, not on the laws of God, but when we fix our eyes on the one who has accomplished them for us, something starts to happen. Amazing. This unbelievable miracle starts to happen when the laws that used to be a burden and used to be impossible for us, all of a sudden we start to find that there's something in us now that actually finds it a joy to follow those laws. A joy to obey, not a burden. And slowly and surely, as we continue to stare into the face of the one who saved us, as we stare into his face, not our own sin, not our own failure, not the law, but we stare at him, slowly and surely what happens is we start to become more and more like this one who has joined himself to us. And the more that all of who he is and all that he has comes to define us. And the more that we become the ones we were always made to be, full and complete and vibrant human beings who bear the mark and image of our creator and shine forth with the glory and brightness of God who's made us new. Doxa Church, I just want you to know, I, I love you guys. I care about you. And my heart in this as we just open Romans 7, 
and we just we read it and we study it, is that we would become people that are more and more and more marked by that gospel and live more and more in light of it. Let's pray. That's good. We'll get it later. <laughs> Jesus, you're amazing. And your life was spent on our behalf. Jesus, I just, I, this whole week, I just have been just, I'm just blown away by this image, Jesus. I so often, I feel like in my life, I feel like I want to I wanna portray that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm this victim. Maybe the circumstances in my life are not going so well. And man, if I, could just, if I could just figure out something, I could really be a little further on this path. And I'm just confronted with this, this reality that actually I am the one that's broken. And yet at the exact same moment, I am met by you who says, yes, that's true. And I love you. Jesus, thanks for meeting us exactly where we're at. Thanks for putting your stamp of glory on us. Thanks for saving our sins. Would we be the kind of people that walk away changed because we've stared into the face of this amazing Savior in your name? Amen.